0: Well, today is the fourth of four sermons that we've explored the issue of friendship. And we've we've looked into the issue of friendship. And today, uh, we're returning to a theme that has reverberated throughout these four Sundays, that Jesus is our ultimate friend. Jesus is our, um, as younger people for about the last 40 years would have called it, BFF. Jesus is truly our best friend Forever, So today's sermon is his home, and this is a shocker, my home, his home, my home, Jesus, my best friend forever. You know, as we've navigated through what the scripture says about friendships and the key issues, really key issues, of not only being wise, but being faithful to Jesus in choosing our closest friends and those who influence us. Because we've, we've heard, and we've heard from scriptures, we've moved through these last several Sundays, that it is critically important, hugely important, who our friends are and how we navigate and whom we allow to influence us and, and lead us in one direction or another. Well, you know, as we have moved through the scripture, we can also think about practical things that folks who whether they're active in faith or not would understand and one of the ways you can kind of navigate through who your friends really are are those who will take you home with them those who will spend time with you Uh, you know conversely I would say the other side of that coin would be some of us have been in certain situations where we may be hanging out with people on Friday night, but there's no way we'd take them home to mama on Sunday morning, right? So, uh, you know, you can pretty much figure out what kind of friends people are by those whom you would take home. (laughs) Uh, Again, you can pretty much tell if somebody's really your friend, if they allow you into their home. And a true friendship with, with the kind of friends that the scripture points us to, you know, the two or three or four people who are your key friends, real friends for you. Those are folks, you know, as a relationship develops where their home truly becomes your home. Did you grow up with some people like that? Where it's like, oh yeah, here's Martin. Here, here, we always have a seat for him because he eats with us half the time. That kind of friendship, that kind of close friendship. And our scripture today is going to point us to the reality that that, and even more so, Jesus points us toward in our relationship with him. His home, my home. Today also, as we look towards the great celebration of the ascension of our Lord and the glorification of our Lord, not only Jesus's humiliation on our behalf on the cross, but also now his exaltation, right? Part of the gospel has to do with his humiliation his condescension unto us, but also now his exaltation unto the right hand of the Father, I want us to know or to remember what Jesus has already done completely for us. We're going to be reminded about that to begin with today. We focused on that throughout this whole spring, you know, definitely Holy Week, uh, definitely on uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what Jesus has already finished completely for us as our best friend forever. But I also want us to know, and I want you to know, what Jesus is doing right now for you. If I were to ask you, are you a Christian? I I would say, what is Jesus doing right now? I I hope you have an answer. Parents, I hope you can equip your children with the answer. And and, and really, a five or six-year-old should be able to give the answer to this. Well, look at this. What is Jesus doing right now for you? And then we need to know and remember and trust in what Jesus will do for us when we die and at the judgment. So in other words, we're talking about what theologians call the three tenses of the gospel, the three tenses of the gospel that is past, present, and future. And and related to that, we're talking about The three tenses of Jesus' work for our our salvation as believers. The three tenses of Jesus' work for our salvation. Past, you know, present and future. The three tenses indeed of your salvation. You know, there are three tenses of your salvation. What has happened? what is happening now and what will happen. God's word, in fact, does employ three tenses related to our salvation. For instance, with respect to past, it's done decisively. You know, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for we are saved by grace through faith. And that indicates something that has happened decisively, yes, we were saved by Jesus' work on the cross. But then there also is present salvation. This is repeatedly seen in the Bible and definitely in the New Testament. Paul, for instance, who speaks about the once-for-all work of Jesus Christ on the cross, nevertheless talks all the time about how we are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved. Did you catch that? Not those who were saved, those who are being saved in a process of salvation. It's the power of God. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Those who are being saved. And in Acts chapter 2, Luke writes that following the great day of Pentecost and the great conversion, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved saved. So that's present salvation. There is a, we, we, we were saved, we are saved, and we are being saved. And then there's also scriptural pointing towards our future salvation. Again, I'll just go to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified, notice that's past tense, it's happened, we've been justified, by his blood much more shall we be saved by him. So in other words, he's done the work on the cross for our justification, and now how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So in other words, We are justified by his death. We are being saved and will be saved by his life on our behalf. A lot of Christians don't know this, but you know this, and you're being reminded of it today by God's word. So also we talk about the three tenses of Jesus' effectual and efficacious work for us as our Savior. God's amazing good news about what Jesus has done, God's amazing gospel about what Jesus is doing right now, this very moment, and tomorrow for you, and God's gospel, God's amazing good news about what Jesus will do when you die and at the judgment for you. So also, again, before I move on to the scripture, remember three, these are not just random theological terms. These are central to the New Testament and the good news. Uh, Justification, sanctification, glorification. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians think that, you know, Christianity is just showing up for a rally and signing a card. No, no, no. It's an ongoing relationship in life. It's like when you get married, you don't just say, well, I've got the marriage certificate, so I guess I'm married. It happened once for all, so I'll just kind of randomly go away from my wife for the rest of my life. No, no, no. It is a lifelong relationship into the present, into the next present, and on to the future. So today's sermon... His home, my home, Jesus, my best friend forever. We're gonna start with two passages of scripture, one looking to the past and then one looking to the present to uh, John chapter 15 verses, we'll read verses 12 through 15, and then Hebrews, our central verse for today, Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25. Now I invite you to hear God's word We're returning to a passage we've already employed a couple different times in this brief friendship mini-series of the month of May. But again, here, Jesus speaking about his friendship in laying down his life for us. Uh, John 15, picking up at verse 12, I invite you to open your Bible. Parents, help your children use a Bible. Open it up. We also have scripture, some of this scripture up on the screen. This is my commandment, Jesus says in the great upper room discourse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Lay down his life. Our true best friend forever. And then to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, now the Greek there can be translated either to the farthest reaches of whatever there is, okay? It can also mean into eternity. So in other words, it's both a spatial reference and a time reference. And if you ask me how to translate that, I'd say both and, okay? That uttermost means both with respect to all time and all place, okay? Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Now, listen to this. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So you can follow along. Please follow along with the sermon notes for today. They're in the bulletin. If you're watching online, these are posted on our website. Number one, the first movement, there are four movements today, not three. Apologies, there are four. We need to do four today. Number one, my place, his place? Really? Really? Yes, he took my place and my death. So this deals with the reality that I deserved and and you deserved condemnation, death, and hell. And I mean not just physical death, but spiritual death. That's really what the Bible is focused on, spiritual death. That's the place. That's my place. But he took it on the cross. He took it. Jesus took my place. You'll remember that I love the way uh, John Stott says in... um, his book on the cross and the meaning of the cross that apostasy and unfaithfulness and idolatry is when I try to push out God from his place, from his throne and run my own life. That's, that's total apostasy. That's unfaithfulness. That's crazy. That's what human beings, let me decide for myself what is good and evil. But the gospel is, is, is is the far cry away from that. When Jesus took my place of condemnation and death and hell. So, so it's, 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 it's apostasy and total unfaithfulness and damnable if I try to push God out of his place, but Jesus by his grace took my place and your place on the cross. That's point number one, movement number one. And Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And this scripture, combined with the whole counsel of God and where Jesus elsewhere explains further what is happening with his death and crucifixion, this is not random substitution. This is substitution, but it's not random substitution. Jesus is specifically taking our place in substitutionary atonement. In other words, he's dying for us in our place. And even more specifically, Uh, what theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. In other words, he's taking the charges and the consequences against me and taking them on to himself. That's what is spiritually and in a sense eternally going on once for all as Jesus dies on the cross he took my place in my death, penal substitutionary atonement to bring me into reconciliation with God. You wanna talk about no greater love? (laughs) No friend compares to that. So in other words, it's not just, well, one soldier taking the bullet in place of another. We're talking about the whole thing. He takes it all upon himself. And notice this, As, as, as a student of the Bible, you're supposed to pick this up, okay? When he says a friend lays down his life for his friends, in John chapter 15 verse 13 you're supposed to immediately say oh he's already used that language where was that I actually preached on this passage a few weeks ago the Good Shepherd discourse by Jesus back in John chapter 10 and you'll remember there with that lay down his life language Jesus says uh, this is John 10 18 no one takes it from me my life in other words but I lay it down of my own accord In other words, he specifically is choosing this substitutionary death and atonement for us. He lays down his life of his own accord. He says, I have authority to lay it down. There's that language again, lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. In other words, that's why I came to earth, to die for your sin and to rise again. And I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. So that's done completely, perfectly by Jesus. Now, number two, Jesus ascended home to his father in glory. Jesus tells us, for instance, in John chapter 14, verse two, look, after saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, I go and prepare a place for you. Where might that be? Is he going to travel to Rome or something or to a nice beach resort? No, no, no. He's going to heaven, to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And then this was our key verse on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. You may remember this. Jesus, this is in John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus says to Mary Magdalene outside the empty tomb, he says to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. In other words, I'm going to be around for 40 days. You don't need to try to hold on to me right now. I need you to get the news to my brothers. That's what Jesus is saying. You're the only one who knows. You need to go tell my brothers. And then listen to what Jesus emphasizes. Because if I were just writing this verse myself, I probably would have said, go and tell my brothers that I've risen from the grave. That's what we all want to talk about at Easter time, right? That he has risen. And that is huge good news. But notice Jesus moves beyond that to emphasize the ascension. Listen to this verse. Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. There it is, but he's going to come back to this. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Did you hear what I'm saying? (laughs) You would anticipate that Jesus would say, go tell Peter and the rest of them that I've risen from the dead. But he's even looking beyond that and saying the big picture of the resurrection is that I am going to ascend. And then listen to what he's saying. This is my home. Is his home, right? I'm going to ascend to my father, Jesus says, and to your father. Wow. His home is my home? His father is my father? yes. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, Jesus says, to my God and to your God. So we have this total focus here in this great Easter passage on the ascension and what is coming in the big picture here. The ascension. Jesus not only is humiliated for our salvation, but he also is exalted for our salvation. The glory of God being one with the Father at the Father's right hand. And there, what is Jesus doing? So, Parents, you got to tell your children this, that they don't already know. What is Jesus doing right now? He is our advocate who is interceding for us. He is our advocate interceding for us. Jesus, our advocate, intercedes for us. Number one, our advocate. First um, John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, good news... Here's the gospel. We have an advocate with the Father, an advocate who is with the Father. Who could that possibly be? (laughs) Who has access to the Father like that? It's Jesus at his right hand. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, as our advocate, then Jesus intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, let me just combine these two verses and tell you if you had Pastor Martin interceding for you at the right hand of God, I don't know about you, but my prayers are sometimes a little bit muddled and maybe not directly in line with God's will and righteousness. So I, I would suggest to you that even if you like me a lot, you don't want me as your key intercessor. Guess who you get as your key advocate and intercessor? Jesus, the righteous one, the exalted one, the very son of God. That's what the scriptures say. It's awesome. So his advocacy and in intercession is perfect, just like his death on the cross was perfect. Okay, righteous, Holy, totally in line with the will of the Father, and totally efficacious. This is the gospel, beloved. Rejoice in this. Know this. This is what Jesus has done and is doing for you right now. So we're talking about saving grace in the present tense. Saving grace, an amazing grace in the present tense, that Jesus, our advocate, is right now interceding for us and ever lives to intercede. Do you ever have times of external threats where people are against you or maybe even Satan's against you? Do you ever have internal threats where you doubt or you misdirect yourself or you struggle with confusion? Yes, right. Admit it. Guess what? In your lowest points, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even under spiritual attack from Satan, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Do you ever miss a prayer? I'm not encouraging to miss prayer, but guess what? Guess who's praying for you even in those moments? The Son of the Father at the right hand. And this is the gospel in present tense. This is salvation good news in present tense. So Hebrews 7.25 says, He always lives to make intercession for them, to all who draw near to him. Okay, it's awesome. So uh, this is in the midst of, in Hebrews, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is infinitely superior To the Aaronic priesthood because those guys, their sacrifices are insufficient and only last for a moment. And they also die and are replaced. And in Hebrews, we're talking about the fact that Jesus lives forever at the right hand of God. So he always lives to intercede. He's the ultimate, not only sacrifice, but he's the ultimate priest interceding and advocating for us. So we're talking about reform, folks. You know about the perseverance and preservation of the saints. This is how this happens. (laughs) This is Jesus effectuates this. The perseverance and the preservation of the saints. You will not drown. I know the water may seem rough and deep, but you will not drown spiritually and ultimately because Jesus, your advocate, intercedes for you and he has you before the right hand of the Father. The fire may be threatening. And physically, you may die, but spiritually, you will not be consumed because Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, your best friend forever, is at the right hand advocating and interceding for you right now. And in that moment that is your worst period of your life, he is at the right hand of the Father. This is the gospel in present tense. Beloved, believe it and receive it. And and, and let me give you more. You actually have two advocates and intercessors. You get this from Paul in Romans chapter 8. If you don't know Romans chapter 8, you really need to study. It's it's, it's the core of living on this side of the cross and the resurrection uh, as you move towards Romans chapter 12 and living that out. But in in Romans chapter 8, not only do we read in verse 34 that Jesus intercedes for us, okay, But if you go back to Romans 8, 27, guess who else is interceding within us? Because Jesus, like he said, it's so much better for you that I go to my father's right hand because I will give you a comforter and a counselor, one who will convict you and lead you within you. And who is that? The Holy Spirit. And so internally, the Holy Spirit advocates for us and to us and intercedes for us. I don't know, the devil's gonna get me. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, no. I don't know, with that sin, maybe I've lost all, all possibility of a relationship with Jesus. No, 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 the Holy Spirit says, come on. So Romans eight twenty seven, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's your perseverance and preservation of the saints, both our intercessor advocate at the right hand of the Father and the one who therefore from the Father sends the Spirit within us to intercede for us. He prays for us with groanings that words cannot express. Third move, what do we do? We're called to repent and receive, to open the door. Repent and receive, open the door. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. I'll pick up at verse 16, Uh, but I can just tell you, this is the message uh, of Jesus. Jesus is speaking here uh, to the angel or the messenger of the church of Laodicea, a very well-off, seemingly successful church full of people. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this. This passage is addressed. Jesus is speaking to people who are in a church and to the messenger of the church. This passage is often preached to flat-out unbelievers— But this is a message to people who call themselves believers but are not in real relationship with Jesus, okay? So um, let's pick up. Uh, Verse 15, I know your works, Jesus says. You are neither cold nor hot. With it, you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, Jesus is speaking to the messenger of the church and the people in the church. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For, I, for you say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Now notice this, Jesus is our advocate. Not only as we've been focusing mainly on the sweet, and I want you to focus on the sweet, but understand part of his saving intercession and advocacy for you is to bring discipline when you need it. So, so hear this now. Um, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone. Jesus is talking to church. Now this is a church. If anyone. If anyone. Any of these so-called Christians or people in the church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. The one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So. So. Jesus is calling us not only substitutionally into relationship with him, but also invitationally and communally to live with him. This is not just a forensic relationship we're in with Jesus, okay? Justification is definitely huge, but the justification leads us into a communal relationship with him, internally, relationally. So Jesus says, repent, Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not in a living relationship with me. Repent. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he's interceding for us. And part of that is he's knocking at the door saying, would you please let me into your house, your church, your life? I'm here. Let us respond. Let us repent and open the door. He intercedes so perfectly and graciously that he knocks on the door and he is calling us to a living faith and a living relationship with him, present tense, unto the future. Um, So let us repent. Notice Hebrews 7.25, our key verse for today. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost who? Just any old person? No, those who draw near to God through him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through God. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who's them? Those who draw near to God through him. Open the door. Repent. And then number four, his home, my home. Revelation 3, 20 and 21. I want you to just listen to this again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is awesome. I mean, this is incredible. Jesus is inviting you into salvation life to be born again to the point that through his Holy Spirit working in us. Ultimately, what's he going to do in the future? Just like he sat down on the throne of his father at his right hand, he's going to invite you, beloved, all the way to the throne to be at his right hand. It's incredible. This is not our home. As Hebrews 13, 14 says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Our real home is with Jesus, our real citizenship with him. I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. Joel Beakey says, when he was growing up, eight, nine, ten years old, his father would ask him repeatedly, What's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? And his daddy taught him this message that has stayed with him. This is what it means to be a Christian. A believer always has a place to go to a Savior who is always remembering him. Come to Jesus. You will always remember have a place to go, present, future, to a Savior who is always remembering you, praying for you, and giving you with his power and his hand to bring you home to himself. His home, my home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.